0: Chapter 5, I, the, the mottoes and the Jacks are gone, or well the mottos are saying the Jacks are gone, so it will be a little light today, um, but 2nd Kings chapter 5, and let's begin reading in verse 10, and uh, we'll read to the end of the chapter, so if you can stand as we read God's word, 2nd Kings chapter 5, beginning in verse 10. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the place, and cure the leper. Are not Abana and uh, Parfar the uh, rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great, it, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the, I think what, I think I misread that. Uh, well, I think the idea there is basically the servant said, it's not that, it's not that big a deal, right? Uh, just wash and be clean. So why, why, why not do it? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. And then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company and he came and stood before him and he said, behold, I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mules, two mules load of earth, for from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but to the Lord. In this manner, may the Lord pardon your servant, when your master goes into the house of remnant, to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bowed myself in the house of Rimmon, 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 when I bowed myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And he said to him, Go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elie, Elie, Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman, the Syrian, in not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman, and when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from his chariot to meet him and said, Is it well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me to say, There have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, Be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver and two bags and two changes of clothing, and laid them on the servant two of his servants, and they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill he looked from took them from their hand and put them on put them in the house, and he sent the men away, and they departed. And he went in and stood before them his master, and Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to see you? Wait, was it time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Benjamin shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper like snow. You may be seated. <clears throat> so very interesting uh turn of events, not only is Naaman healed, but it turns out that Gehazi ends up uh, being a leper, so uh, some interesting things to discuss, and I think you'll see also that it is in, a, in one way, the lesson today is, is, is a picture of Naaman uh, being washed in the blood of Christ, you might say, I think we've seen will come into play, it's kind of an object lesson of, of what we're going to talk about in the second message. But we saw last week that two people here at the beginning of the chapter, the servant girl, really the slave girl of Naaman, Naaman himself, and one showed the love of God in that she uh, did good to Naaman, even though she had been unjustly taken uh, and become his slave. But we also see Naaman who needs to find humility and repentance. He is a a prime picture of the world, of someone who is lost in their sins, and and, and, full of pride and does not want to humble themselves before the Lord. He was rich and powerful, but we find out that he on the inside is full of sin. So again, just uh, a great example of it, and all lost people who, uh, might be, uh, look very good on the outward, in their outward appearance, might have a lot of money or power, but if they're full of sin, then they're, uh, they have no, they still, Are under God's judgment. And so, only, uh, as we kind of read here, only repentance of faith are going to heal Naaman. He was going to have to uh, humble himself and do what he's told, not his riches or his power. He tried to buy it. He tried to even afterwards try to pay for it. And Elisha wanted no part of that. He said, All you got to do is just go and wash. So it's a great example of salvation. And so, Elijah does not treat the rich and powerful any different than the widows, because we've, we've seen him deal with widows, him and Elijah both. We've seen him deal with kings, here with the generals and very powerful people. Uh, it does, it's all the same. We, we see that he doesn't uh, treat any differently, because, well, I can get money or I can get some a favor out of you, so I'll treat you differently. And, of course, we know that's the antithesis of, what Christianity is to be about. We are not to uh, treat people differently based on how we, what we can get out of them. Uh, because that's not how the Lord treated us, right? He, He graciously gave us what we could not do for ourselves and we could give Him nothing back. And so, He's just a great example there. Of course we know that, uh, one reason is because He couldn't do this because all this is a type of salvation. So, uh, all are equally sinful before God. You can only be saved all in the same way. So, uh, if, if you treated people differently, then you would assume then that God treats people differently based on their, their, whether they have money or power or whatever. But the problem is God gave them all that to start with, right? So, it, it would make no sense if that was the case, if, if God treated somebody differently because they were able to obey better or to do something better because All that we are able to do is because God has given it to us, right? So it would make no sense for God to play favorites with people who are all alike. They all have nothing to offer him, right? And so as long as one has the attitude that he isn't as bad as somebody else, you'll never be able to get right with the Lord because you won't see yourself as just as deserving of the same condemnation, needing the same amount of grace. And it holds true for us even as saints. We don't treat ourselves, anyone, but certainly the, the brothers and sisters in Christ don't treat us differently because it, it's saying that somehow you're innately better uh, than somebody else. Or you have something to offer me more than somebody else. But we know that all things come from the Lord. And that I'm just as guilty a sinner as anybody else. So true to the gospel, Elisha tells Naaman that he must renounce his own ways and obey the Lord. Naaman is a, the picture of, of, of a pagan, a picture of, of someone involved in false religion. He he expects religion to be about ritual and words and money and bribes and all this kind of stuff. And Elisha says, "Nope. All you got to do is just renounce your rivers in the in Syria." uh renounce that and you just need to uh, be washed in the river Jordan. Of course Acts says, Repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. That that's all that there is. That, there's nothing else. You don't you can't pay or buy it or work for it. And uh and so and again there's nothing special about the River Jordan. Uh, certainly uh, Naaman wasn't impressed with it, but but what it represents is that a a, a humbled Naaman. It's the one thing Naaman didn't want to do, which is kind of like the cross is that offense to the Greeks, you know, stumbling block to the Jews. It's the one thing that says, I I have to renounce all my good works and supposed righteousness and trust in that which is offensive. The cross, the bloody cross. And that's what Naaman had to do. It It was an act of faith and obedience. And it would reveal a broken and a dependent spirit, because right now, Naaman, he's, if he's anything, he's he's not humble or broken. And of course, this is nothing new. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, oh God, you are not despised. And it's not that, it's not saying that, well, uh, that what God wants to see in us is that a broken spirit, we're walking around all sad and no confidence and, uh, just, you know, I'm awful and, and, uh, woe is me. It, it, that's not what the Lord wants to see. Uh, it, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't, there's certainly have to come to a point where we realize that there's no good in this. But what he's saying there is we want, he want, he, he gives, he heeds those who are dependent upon him, who realize that I can't do anything apart from the Lord. Because I'm walking around living life thinking that, a well, lot you know, it's all up to me, and I'll take care of myself, that I've got no time for God. And, I, and I've got no, uh, there's no way I can glorify him because I don't feel like I need him, right? And it's that's what the verse is talking about. James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will exalt you, or he will lift you up. The, the KJV says he lift you up, not exalt you in, in a prideful way, of course, but he will take care of you, he will uh, do with you as you need, but, but you have going to humble yourselves. <clears throat> so he says, Naaman, go down there and wash it in Jordan. And by the way, do it seven times. And I think that perhaps seven, because in the Bible, seven very often speaks of a completeness of the, the, you know, finished thing. And so, um, the, the washing. Here represents the the cleansing from sins in the fountain of Jesus Christ, because this is what the Jordan is representing—the blood of Christ, really. And so, when you wash in the blood of Christ, it, that it gives you perfect cleansing. And we see that, of course, that his ba- his skin is as a newborn. I mean, perfect. A, a, a newborn skin is as perfect as it's going to get, because you know, like, like they say, once when you're born, you begin to die at that point. So yeah, you you progress to a certain point, but but your body will never be like it was. Certainly your skin, right? So that seven, I think, speaks of the perfect forgiveness that we uh get experienced in Jesus Christ. We don't have to keep getting forgiven, which is, of course, the essence of Catholicism. Is you got to, nothing ever perfectly uh forgives your sins. And so uh, Zechariah 13.1, In that day there shall be a fountain open in the house of David and in the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and, unclean- and uncleanness. So we're, we're washing the blood of Christ. Now the mistake, if you remember when we went through uh, 1 Peter 3, we talked about baptism a little bit. And this, the mistake I think many make is that they think of baptism as a cleansing experience. But this is not baptism. This doesn't represent baptism. It represents being washed in the blood of Christ. Baptism doesn't wash, doesn't cleanse anybody. And just because we bathe in it, just because we use water to cleanse us, you got to be careful here, because it's a mistake, I believe, to think of baptism as a cleansing experience. This is why there are those who think that when you're baptized, your sins are washed away. But what is happening in a baptism? You are identifying yourself with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the finished work of Christ. So it's a you're being cleansed when you're washed in the blood of Christ, and baptism is a pointing to that. I was cleansed in Christ. I'm not being cleansed now. And if you don't get that figured out, the water that represents the blood. It represents the judgment of God. I think Peter uses that connects you with the, the, the flood. And the waters of the flood that didn't save anybody, the waters of the flood killed everybody. You're only saved if you're in the ark, which is Christ. Right? So the blood, the, the water of baptism represents the blood of Christ and judge, the judgment of God. It, it's not the soap. The, the blood is the soap. So I mean, once you get that you know you become a Baptist <laughs> you, you, you kind of get your uh, idea of what uh, the uh, uh, baptism is all about so uh, we read here in verse 11 he's walking around why you know I thought you'd come out and you'd have a big ceremony and speak a lot of words and, and a lot of activity and it'd almost be comical if it wasn't what really happens so often, why so many even now are remaining their sins is because they don't understand what religion is. And of course, the very word religion is—I don't, I don't even like to use it often because it, it has so many connotations, right? And so you know, he said, "I thought I would give an opportunity for uh, there to be some work, some religious right, something I could do myself or be part of, something that would." You know, I'm an important man, and so I expected Elisha to come out and to treat me with some measure of importance. Because to me, religion is waving wands and rituals and manipulating God to get him to work, saying the right words, as if God cares how we're, we're moving our bodies or what we're saying, in that sense. And that's straight out of paganism. <clears throat> and I guess what some do with baptism. Some think that, well, by doing this motion, by getting somebody wet, or usually those people are the ones who believe that you gotta sprinkle. But this the uh Church of Christ, they they emerge, I believe. But be thinking that, well, if I do this, if I wet myself somehow, uh, or have somebody wet me, that um, God somehow is impressed with that. He's gonna forgive my sins. But well, what is you getting wet got to do with anything? And that's so it still goes on today. Naaman already had a script written, and he's not happy because God has, has not done what he wanted him to do. And so he saying he's, he's not converted yet. He's, he's not cleansed of his sins yet. <clears throat> and of course, you know, he's, he's used to a different kind of religion. At, at home, it, it, it was all about itchy palms, you know, taking bribes and magic shows and activity. It was vending machine grace, we might say. You put your money in, you get something back. And this describes Catholicism and, 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 all man-made religions. certainly many man-made religions. But Elisha is faithful to point out to the, uh, to point him to the fountain. Not to get involved himself. He says this is all about, uh, God saving you. And he's the one who's got to be seen as getting the, doing the work and getting the glory. <clears throat> Remember, Paul said that he determined to preach nothing but Christ and Him crucified. Um, when Naaman does eventually walk out of the Jordan clean, what does he do? He gives God the glory. He said, "Now I know that there is only one God in on all the earth, this God, of this Yahweh, the God of Israel." See, and, and you wouldn't necessarily got that if if you're getting if 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 the activities of Elisha made it look a lot like the gods he was uh, used to, but he could only look at Yahweh. Elisha had, had nothing to do with this; he wasn't even around when it happened. In verse twelve, <clears throat> um, you know, he's complaining about those other, but better rivers in Syria. And all this points to, it shows his natural heart that he's thinking God should be doing things the way he, he wants him to do. He, he's he got his priorities, and God doesn't seem to agree with his priorities. But, of course, we know that, this, as the Bible says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end thereof is the ways of death. And that's what we see Naaman uh, exemplifying here. He's keeping his pride and his importance. But beggars accept terms. They don't. Um, they don't make the terms. If you owe somebody a lot of money, you can't pay. You don't walk in and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. They'll throw you out on your heel. All right? All right. Uh, look over at Isaiah 55. We'll see the Lord, um, I think, illustrating this or pointing this out. <clears throat> Isaiah 55, starting in verse 1. Come, everyone who thirst. Come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy, eat, come buy wine and milk without money, without price. So here, the Lord is speaking to the needy. They're not the ones telling the Lord what they're going to do. The Lord is telling them what they're going to, what you're going to do. Why do you spend money or spend your money on that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me and hear that your soul may live. And I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I make him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander of the peoples. Behold, you shall be called a nation that you do not know, and a nation that you do not know shall run to you, because the Lord your God of the Holy One of Israel, and for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to your God for he will abundantly pardon. So you see the Lord saying this is what you've got to do. Quit doing what you've been doing and listen to what I've got to say. That's what the gospel is. The good news that Christ has done something. Quit whatever it is you're trusting in. And flee to him. He's setting the, uh, the parameters of salvation. But Naaman wants ritual for substance. And that's why so many won't sit still for preaching. You know, if it's more than 15, 20 minutes, they're out. Because they want ceremony and activity. But they don't want to hear from the Lord. Some, uh, and, and this, you know, over my experience over the years, I've I know that there are some who convert to Catholicism, for instance, because they think that religion to them is rites and beauty and robes and smoke. You know, as a you know, if you've been to a Catholic service, and the smoke that comes out of the thing that they're waving around, and all this kind of stuff, <clears throat> the the, the rites that's that's religion, and they and they come to a church like this, and they, there's nothing fancy going on here. They're just speaking. Uh, it doesn't look religious because in their mind a religion is. No, they've been duped. They don't have a sense of their need. Religion is getting that sin problem taken care of. It's meeting God, getting right with God, and then becoming, uh, Him becoming everything to you. Uh, some <clears throat> think religion is just long praise services and, uh, emotional hoopla. And so that's, they go to those churches because that's what religion is to them. It's worship. Just this, this emotional worship. And of course, again, you come to a church like this and, eh, you know, doesn't fit, quite fit the bill. There, there are some who think religion is just, uh, is obeying rules and laws and, and, the, and they have a legalistic tendency. They want, to tell me what to do. <clears throat> and so you find them going to the fundamentalist. Or becoming, they might convert to Islam, and, and people have done that. They convert to cur- Islam because their lives are in such shambles, and they they need to be cleaned up. And they realize that or they convert to Mormonism because, well, you, where they look, and they have their act together. Well, you know, the problem is you got to understand what religion is, what true religion is. <clears throat> And so he complains and he walks away. But a servant says, "You know what? Mm, what, what? What's going on here? All he's asking you to do is, is something very simple." And I think what we have here is a kind of a picture of the Holy Spirit uh, overcoming our sinful will. You know, <clears throat> he doesn't force us to believe. We're, we're not say kicking and screaming. You know, God is way too glorious for that. But He reveals His light to us. Um, another verse there in uh, Isaiah: "Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow." Let's think about this. God shines His light, exposes our sin, He exposes the soap. Alright? The way it's to have that sin uh, cleansed. Faith is simple. If the natural man uh, wants no part of it for salvation, but the God the Bible never suggests that the will of God is left up to us to decide. We are responsible, but His will o- will overcome our will, but it won't do it through compulsion, just like Naaman. He's not forced. His servants don't grab him and dunk him in. If that, if they did that, then I'd say, well, maybe baptizing babies and, and people getting saved by, uh, baptism, maybe that's how it should be done, but no, because God just um, he, he this the servant just says, "Look, this is a reasonable thing." I think it just shows the work of the Holy Spirit in somebody as they regenerate. Um, there's some verses that really, this is a passage that you should be very very familiar with, and that any time you're talking to someone who doesn't understand the sovereignty of God, this is uh, John six is like a must passage. <clears throat> all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. I must have copied this out of the KJV. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all that he has given me, I shall lose nothing, but he but should raise it up again at the last day. <clears throat> so all that he has given me will come to me. And, of course, uh, uh, later on he says, and I will draw them to myself, right? Because we're not going to come willingly. We're not going to come until the, our will has been changed. We're drawn. <clears throat> so another thing that we're taught all along with Naaman is the narrow way of salvation. There's only one river, Elisha says, you're going to be uh, cleansing, not any river you choose. It's not about whichever one you like. God is not being narrow, if you think about it. Because People say, well, Christianity is a narrow religion. Well, the problem is there's only one way to be saved. <clears throat> when God demands that there's only one name under heaven whereby you must be saved, it's not like he said, well, you know what? There's a lot of ways that people can be saved, but I'm going to make it just this guy. Just, just one name, Jesus. You know, no, God's not arbitrary. The simple fact is that if we don't, get God's righteousness imputed to our account, and that is God's righteousness in Christ Jesus as he lived as a man, and we'll get into all this in the temptation here pretty soon. But if we don't get that Jesus righteousness imputed to us on our account, we'll never stand before a holy God. We'll only be consumed. So there can't be many ways because there's only one God, man. There's only one righteousness we need. We don't we don't need our righteousness. So God's not being narrow. He, he's just, this is the only way you can be saved. And so in verse 14, we see the humility of a sinner saving faith is illustrated here as he comes down. He gets down off his high horse. He gets down off his chariot, whatever he was on. And he goes down. Because if you're do it God's way, you're going to do it humbly, as we've already talked about. And so when he comes up the seventh time, he's not just better than he was before. He's perfect. And that's a picture of us being made perfect in Christ Jesus. And then we get to verse 14 and we notice here uh, a complete change of heart. When we're touched by God's grace, we're just not the same as we were before. Now he's a worshiper of the Lord only. Now he expresses this in a way that causes us New Testament believers some difficulty, and rightly so, because he says, "Well, I'm going to take some dirt back with me, and when I do worship God, I'm going to—I want to do it the right way." Well, you know, he, he's concerned. Maybe, maybe he understood the inherited the land was the inheritance of God's people. You know, we're not, we're not told why, but he's—he's he's carrying God back with him. You know, he's changed. He knows there's just one true God, but he's saying, "I'm hoping then that as when I go into the temple to worship the false god, God will understand." And all of a sudden, we're saying, oh, "Wait, well, hey, just a minute! Uh, you know, you can't be saved if you do that. That's hypocrisy, and that that won't work. You can't worship more than one, one God." And so, <clears throat> this this caused some, you know, the commentators some consternation, and you can kind of understand that. But I think the important thing that we need to understand here, first of all, is that he's making a clear break from his old pagan religion, right? He he understands there's only one God now. And so he does ask for leniency uh, in that. Because because he he knows that if I don't go and worship the false gods, I'm a dead man. I, I can't function in my society. Well, all right, first of all, we're going to give him a break because he's living in the Old Testament. And, you know, it is what it is. Uh, and whether he's in heaven or hell, I don't know. You know, I I, I can see him being in heaven. I, I hope he is. It would be a great testimony of the grace of God if he is, right? But then again, if I'm there, it's a great testimony of the grace of God. But he might be. But, uh. Because one wonder that like one commenter says, I don't know why in the world he doesn't just say, you know what, I'm going to be living in Israel from now on because that's a false God and, and and I can live here. And that would make sense, but that's not what he does. And as New Testament Christians, we we realize that this is a problem for us. We we cannot do what Naaman's doing and I think be truly saved. I think it's something we struggle with. And so we see the struggle. But this, we know that if he goes back and he worships that false god, even though he's not doing it in his heart, he's doing it in his emotions, he's really not keeping the first three commandments. For sure. And it's an illustration of, I think, what happens often today. You know, people say, well, you know, I, I I can't go to church. I've, I've got to work, and th- my job doesn't allow me to. And so I just that's just how that it is. Um, my kids have important things, activities. You know, I like they're involved in a lot of school activities, and uh, a lot of that's on Sunday. And I, you know, as I told you before, I, one guy I used to know uh, that i try to teach my son to be true to his commitments, and we've committed ourselves to baseball and. Baseball games are on Sunday. I think. Well, let's 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 talk about being committed to the Lord. You know, but you know, but anyway, So you hear this all the time. Oh, I had to dress like a witch because I was at a fundraiser, and that's what they expect me to do. And you're thinking, wait, what is going on? Don't you realize? Do you not trust God to provide you a job that you can have? We don't have to completely compromise. Do you you not see that you're selling your kids' souls to the devil by telling them that baseball or whatever is more important than church? So we know in in our in in our new covenant experience that such compromise is a real big is a problem. Even though we we can struggle with it, but at the end of the day. We know no, no Christian uh, with God, without God doing something drastic is going to be walking into a false church and worshiping, uh, in, in uh, or at least outwardly worshiping a false God to save his neck. It's not, and I think there has been times where Christians have done that through history. They, they, they got scared and they got weak and they did something in order to save themselves. But I think at some point the Lord deals with them. So, we're not, and I, I go through all that, so that we don't try to use Naaman as an excuse that it's okay, God doesn't care, if we don't look like a Christian when we're out in the world, when we're at church or at home, we will, but when we're in public, we will we don't want to get any of the wrath of the world on us, right? It, No, I don't think you can take Naaman, an Old Testament person, and try to make that point when the New Testament is pretty clear about it. Jesus says, you know, if you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you before the Father, right? So that's out. So he has a conscience. We'll look at the bright side of this. He has a conscience. He's bothered by the dilemma and he's trying to work through it. Because few people in Israel at this time, northern Israel was doing this. That's for sure. And so, um, when, when, let's, let's take from this that when our sins are forgiven, when we're converted, we lose our paganism. We lose our worship of self in this world. And at least in that, Naaman is clear, right? All right, so let's conclude with just two lessons here. First of all, Luke uh, 4.25, Naaman is used in the, by Jesus as an example. But in truth I tell you there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah and none of them were cleansed but only Nahum and the Syrian. So he's an example here. This is a picture, then, of the day the gospel will go forth to all kinds of people. The gospel was never meant, the kingdom that the Jews looked for and the Messiah they looked for was never meant to be only for Jews. And Jesus points to that fact by these widows, these Gentile widows in Naaman, when God bypassed the Jews who as a whole had uh, rejected him anyway, and he goes to the Gentiles, which is exactly what happens, right, uh, in the first century, when, when he's rejected by his own people, and he goes to all the world. <clears throat> so it was always part of God's plan for the Israel to break covenant, to reject their Messiah, that Christ might institute the new covenant, whereby he saves through grace. Uh, to it goes to all the world and saves from all people secondly we have the story of Gehazi we read it we won't spend time going through it's pretty self evident Gehazi is not concerned for the Lord's or Elijah's reputation we we already mentioned the fact that there were some hints member of Gehazi that he uh, you know people saw maybe he wasn't quite all there when it comes to spiritual his spiritual life um <clears throat> Even the servant of the of the of Elisha in that environment uh, struggled with sin. Uh, you know, so it doesn't matter where you are, who you are, sin is always there. I reminds us about that. The rich covet as much as the poor because we're all equally sinful. And so he sees Naaman as a legitimate prey, and he know that because Notice it says, Naaman, this Syrian, he's a Gentile. He has no respect for Naaman. And his words betray him. When we speak ugly about people, when we use slurs or whatever, we're just exposed to the fact that we don't take them as seriously as we do ourselves. We're looking down upon them in some way. And so you see him. He sees Naaman as prey. He's not a Jew. Therefore, um, you know, why... Why let him have that? He's got things that I want and I could use. He doesn't see him as a brother, as in a sense maybe he should at this point. He still sees him as the enemy. And it just reminded me that we need to be careful, and and I have to apologize because I I have not been faithful to to express this like, like I should since I've been here, and that we should be calling each other brother and sister. And, you know, that should be a, a, the prevalent way that we speak to each other. Because it reminds us of who we are. We are a family. We're in the family of God. And when we don't, and, and again, I haven't been as faithful to do that, uh, I tend to, you know, I, I think I kind of just, you know, don't take the lead. and I just kind of, you know, settle down where everybody else is. But we should be saying that to each other. Referring to each other like that. Because that's what we are. And when we speak like that, we remind ourselves. I think it would be helpful in our relationship with one another. Instead of always just calling each other by name. Which is okay, but I think there's something to that. And so, God doesn't allow Gehazi to be blessed in his plans. and But, you know, I think often the Lord keeps us from our plans. and It is a gracious thing. Here, for uh, Gehazi, I don't know if Gehazi ever repented or you know, in a spiritual sense, he doesn't get away with it. But sometimes in the Lord, all the time, when the Lord doesn't allow us to get away with our plans because they're not good, it's a blessing because he gives us an opportunity to do right. And that's one reason why we should never find ourselves complaining or being discontent because When our plans don't go as we want, it's because the Lord knows better. Because we believe in a sovereign, gracious God, right? And so he ends up becoming um, the leper, and Naaman here, the cleansed one. And his punishment is severe, but I think it's severe because he's breaking a type here. The type here is of is, is the, the whole lesson has been about free grace that Naaman couldn't buy. He couldn't purchase. You know, Elisha was a about this. Uh, no, I don't want anything because uh, this is salvation. Cleansing is a gift. It's done by faith. And Gahesai's breaking it by accepting this gift. He's breaking that type in a sense. You can't have earned grace. It's a contradiction of terms. <clears throat> and so he he... Another thing he's doing is he's kind of implying that a Yahweh is a taker like all the other deities. You know, he would like this. And that's why I think Moses' punishment when he struck the rock was so severe. He was not allowed to go into the promised land. When many of the people who went in the promised land were murmurers and didn't deserve it any more than Moses, even less. But Moses struck the rock. And that rock is Christ, and that rock had already been struck. (laughs) You you don't strike Christ but once. That's why we condemn. Everything is going on when when the the Catholics have mass, because they're striking Christ again. And and so Moses, said, God says, no, I'm not letting this go, because it's it's the lesson being taught. And again, there's a New Testament precedent for that. Paul says, even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and so I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So he says, even if Gabriel himself comes down and preaches something other than Christ and him crucified, let him be accursed. And then he turns right around and repeats it. In case you haven't heard me, there's only one way to be saved. It's through the good news that Christ has done the work. The cross. And if anybody monkeys around with that, stay as far away from me as you can because they're bringing a curse upon themselves. And so one sinner is made clean who appeared to be clean but was exposed to not be clean.
1: And then another sinner who
0: appeared to be clean, well, excuse me, let me get that right. One sinner who was uh, dirty, who, was, who needed to be cleansed, is made clean. And another one who appeared to be clean is exposed for not being clean. Gehazi goes away now exposed for who he is. He's a sinner. He's got what Naaman uh, had. He's looking down on them, and when what we see here is that he's just like them in his heart, right? And uh, so you, you just there's all these kind of good New Testament things to be seen, I think, illustrated in this chapter. And that's why I just I think one of this this chapter's kind of the highlight in some ways of this book. Any questions? Let's pray. Our heavenly Father, we thank you for your love to us this day, and for your blessings that we have in Christ Jesus and that have been so illustrated for us. We pray for our second service that you might bless and speak to your people and edify us and may we grow strong in the faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.